You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Well, I invite you to return to Luke chapter 1. Scripture text this morning is just one single verse. It's the verse that we've already read together. Verse 35, I'll read it again. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to this passage this morning, Father, our eyes are set upon you. We look to you. And Father, we ask that you would keep our eyes on you as we look to your truth. We pray, Father, that, Lord, you would teach us, that you would be pleased to instruct us, that you would guide us, that you would take us, O Father, deep down within the depths of this passage, O Lord, not simply for vain curiosity, but, Father, for life transformation. Father, you would help us to see the truths in these, that these truths, they are staggering truths, and that, O Father, the implications of these truths would be felt. O Father, we would find our lives made more and more like Christ. Press these things upon us, O Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Christmas story, you know, is well known to us. I mean, as I look around the room, I, I, I think I can say really almost unanimously that the Christmas, Christmas story is well known to all of us. Uh, we, we've visited each year, and we've been visiting it in some cases for many, many, many years. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Uh, and um, this morning, I, I want to present a question, and perhaps, perhaps we've asked this question before. Um, have, you ever, have you ever looked at the Christmas story and asked the question that three-year-olds are famous for? You know, that single question, the why question. Have you ever asked why? In other words, why, why Gabriel? Why an angel? Uh, why an obscure peasant girl? A young teenager, as we've seen. She's probably all of about 13 or 14 years of age, which that in itself is staggering to us. Um, what, why a teenager? Uh, why a virgin? Why a virgin birth? Um, sometimes it's asked, could God have done this another way? That's not the question I want to look at this morning. In fact, I don't think that's a good question for us to ask. The answer is impossible for us. It's just simply impossible for us. And I think a question like that falls really under the jurisdiction of the secret things. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Uh, I think that the psalmist guides us quite well when the psalmist says, listen, I don't occupy my mind with things that are too great for me or too marvelous for me. I think that's good advice with a question like that. Could God have done it another way? 
Uh, he didn't do it another way. He did it this way. The sacred things belong to the Lord our God. But, but Deuteronomy 29 goes on to say, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children, doesn't it? A lot of times we don't learn that second part. We just say the secret things, the secret things. What about the revealed things? The story has been revealed to us, and because it's been revealed to us, it invites us. It invites us into this inquiry, and I will tell you that those who pursue this inquiry uh, are, are, are paid with great dividends. And that's what I want to do this morning, is pursue this inquiry, pursue this story, pursue this verse right here, because this verse right here, of all of the verses, really take us deep down into the very heart of the incarnation. And that's exactly what I want to do this morning. If you look at verse 35, you'll see that in verse 35, the words, the angel answered her. Now, what is that telling us? That is telling us that the angel is responding to a question. We ask, what question? Well, there in verse 34, Mary says to the angel, how would this be since I'm a virgin? What is Mary talking about? We know what she's talking about. Her 14 or 13 or 15-year-old voice is just in marvel, saying, how is this going to be? How is what going to be? How am I going to be with child? You've just said that I'm going to bear a child. You've told me I'm to name him Jesus. You've told me that he, he will be the son of the Most High. You told me that, uh, that, that the Lord is going to give him the throne of his father David and that he's going to reign forever. I just have one question. How is this going to be, being that I have never known a man? Well, we can understand that, can't we? It's not, don't read into this unbelief. This is not unbelief. She's not, she's not faltering in her belief. She's receiving this. Ladies, you tell me. Wouldn't you have at least one question if this was dropped on you as a young teenager? Just one after a big, deep gulp? Uh, okay. How? And Gabriel answers, and the answer is so incredible. We should be so grateful that the Lord has given us this answer, you know. If he had skipped over and just kept going, oh, how we would search. Oh, how we would marvel. Oh, how we would just want to know. I just think if Gabriel just kept on going and not answered this question. But he didn't. He answered the question. And look how he answered the question. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, let's look at that for a few minutes. And I think it might help some of us anyway. If, you, if you're someone who's helped with diagrams, if you like to draw little diagrams and little things, I like to do that. It helps me to learn, but it also helps me to remember when I do that. If you, some of you have pens and you're writing, if you draw a line from left to right on your bulletin or somewhere, and then you put a little short line in the center from top to bottom, just a little short, you're just kind of making a little, a little, kind of a little table, if you will. Now, on the upper left-hand side, put Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. 
And just underneath that, on the bottom left-hand side, the power of the Most High. You see the parallel there in our verse? The power, the, the Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High. You see the parallel? Now, on the right side, on the top, will come upon you. The words will come upon you. In other words, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And underneath it, on the right-hand side, will overshadow you. You see the parallel there. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, one of the key words in your little diagram that you've written down is the word power. And we're to understand this word really in probably the strongest sense that we can understand the word power. In fact, in the original language, in the Greek, uh, the word that is used is the word that we get dynamite from. Dynamite has, has come from that Greek word. Uh, we're to think of extraordinary power. Now, when you think of power this morning, what do you typically think about? What do you think about when you think of power? You know, some of us might think of political power. Some of us who follow politics and are kind of wired that way might think of political power. You might think of, of how people use political power to influence the world or influence their various jurisdictions, whether they be state, local, federal, uh, or how people will use uh, capital, if you will, to influence the world. That might be where your mind goes when you think of power. Some of us with motorcycle backgrounds and car backgrounds and other kind of backgrounds might think of horsepower. You know, um, you know I was hoping Cody would be here this morning because I know Cody would give me a big grin at that one. He would be, he would be liking that one. Uh, when you think of power, uh, horsepower. Some of us have engineering backgrounds. When you think of uh, horsepower, if you will, maybe some of us know, it seems to me like my memory that horsepower, it actually did originate from a horse. Um, I think, wasn't it, I don't know if Troy can answer this, but it was a team of French scientists maybe in the late 1600s who did some kind of experiment with a horse um, and they, they hooked a horse up, they yoked it up to a pulley arrangement, and they had a weight, and the horse would pull the weight, and when a certain amount of weight went up in the air a certain distance um, across the time span of a certain time span, it was one horsepower. seemed to me like it was three feet in the air. I don't remember what the weight was. Three feet in the air during two seconds' time, that was one horsepower, uh, one single horsepower. James Watt later applied the horsepower to the steam engine, and now Ford applies it to the Mustang, which is quite interesting because now we're back to the horse again, aren't we? You ever notice the Mustang is named after a horse? It's just a circle, isn't it? Now, I'm not wasting your time here with trivialities. I'm not trying to waste your time here. I think earlier this week, I was thinking about time, and I was thinking in the week, how many minutes are there in a week? And if I remember right, there's 10,080 minutes in a week. And I was thinking, I only get like 45 of those 10,080 minutes, and I don't want to waste any of those 45 minutes with stupid, silly things. I have a point with this horsepower thing. Let's think about it a little bit, because when we start thinking about the power of God, there is this obstacle that we have. For a horse to um, uh, be used in this experiment, the horse has to go along with this experiment. If If... Uh, if the horse is going to lift this weight for this height, 
during the course of this time span, that horse is going to have to first of all say, okay, I'm going to go along with this. So there has to be a will. But a will is not enough in the case of the horse. The horse has to say, okay, I'm going to exhort my limbs. I'm going to exhort my shoulder muscles, my back muscles. I'm going to pull on this thing. I'm going to pull on this thing for you. Now, again, I'm drawing on memory, so the details may be off, but it's unimportant for the illustration. But it seems to me that a man is capable of one-seventh of a horsepower. In other words, it takes seven men to do the same thing that a horse could do. I don't know how they arrived at that because the strength of horses varies so much as do the strength of men. I don't know if they took an average. I don't know. But let's just go with these numbers. It takes seven men to do the same thing. Now, if we were to put seven men on this experiment, then that means seven men would have to be willingly come together. They would have to get a hold of the rope, I presume. Each of them would have to labor in concert. There would have to be this concerted effort that would involve the will, and from the will would involve the muscles of the limbs, the shoulders, the legs, the back, the midsection, as they all pulled on this weight. Now, all of this is to say, that the horse couldn't just stand in its stall and say, okay, you want me to lift that weight? All right, it's lifted. That would be absurd. How's a horse going to just merely stand in a stall and say, lift it? Nor could we say to the man, well, you know, just sit, just put chairs around the weight and all get around the weight and just, listen, will it in the air, three feet or however far it has to go, will it into the air? Well, that would be a silly exercise, wouldn't it? Because we can't do that, can we? And I think that creates a little bit of an obstacle for us in understanding the very power of God, because God can do that. If God wants that weight three feet in the air, it is immediately three feet in the air. It's hard for us to get our minds around that, isn't it? But we have so many examples in Scripture of, of, of the Lord's uh, uh, power. I mean, creation, of course, is, is one of them. You know, creation, when the psalmist, you know, for example, when the psalmist wants to, wants to praise God for his power, oftentimes, what's the psalmist do? He appeals to creation, doesn't he? Read through the Psalms. You'll see it all over again. He appeals to uh, creation. And it really, I mean, we could look at creation... You know, I was I, um, earlier this week, I saw a squirrel carrying his acorn. And I thought to myself, you know, we've all held these acorns in our hands. They, they feel like a little piece of wood, don't they? And they're quite marvelous. You look at them, there's a lot of detail. If you get one, it hasn't been all chewed up, you know. You look at it, there's all this beauty and detail to it. And you've got this, this like, acorn, and it's like, it's like this dead piece of wood. And you throw it in the dead ground. And you add a little moisture to it, and in due time, the Lord creates an 85-foot oak tree. Try that one out. It's incredibly powerful. Or how about lightning? Oftentimes, you look at lightning, and what do you, what do you think of? When you hear, you see the mighty bolt. It, it's so quick. It, it operates quicker than, than the sound. Like the bolt makes it faster than the sound makes it. And then you hear that rumble. Listen, if you hear the rumble, that's all good. You're well. Because the lightning bolt's done, got where it's going. If you hear it, you're good. And if you don't hear it, not so good. Others heard it. Um, the Lord actually determines the destination 
of each one of those bolts. I know a number of years ago down in Weirton, when I lived down there, there was a storm that knocked a tree down on the roof of the house that I was living in. And I called my insurance company and I wanted to you know, see what we could do. The roof was badly damaged and they told me that it was an act of God. Well, I knew that. Thank you very much. That was a polite way of telling me I'm on my own. <laughs> we know these things are an act of God. In the midst of these things, we see these, this power. We see this. We see the power of God manifested in these acts. And we could think of countless other, um, you know, I got a couple other, I got a couple more. The sun, moon, and the stars. We got two more. Just bear with me. Think about the sun, moon, and the stars. You know, even the hymn writers, the sun, moon, and stars and their courses above. Think about the sun, the moon, and the stars. You have these mighty bodies, these mighty things that are they're, they're flying around up there. You realize they're going at, like, you, you look up and you see the stars, they all look stationary, but they're flying around at magnificent speed, staggering speed. And they're on these courses that are so precise. Scientists tell us that if the earth is like, if, it's, if, it, if it leans just one degree this way, then we freeze to death. If it, if, it, if it leans another degree the other way, we burn up. And yet it's flying on this really rapid course. The Lord has not only created all of this, but He has set all of it in motion, and He keeps it in motion. It's actually staggering. But I, I think really one of the most staggering things is the human body. I saved this one for last because so many of you are in the medical field, and you've studied anatomy, and you've studied chemistry, right? We've studied chemistry and chemistry and chemistry and chemistry. And think about all the chemicals that the body's made out of. Each one of these chemicals are made with uh, all of these various properties. And there's all these laws that, that, that govern these properties so that when one chemical is mixed with another chemical, there's this little law. It's told how it is to respond. And we are so indebted to all of these laws because if it weren't for all these laws, we wouldn't be here right now, would we? Our bodies would not function if it wasn't for all of these chemicals doing what they've been told to do. Uh, we wouldn't be able to stand here and meditate on these things. We wouldn't be able to stand here and take all these things. And we wouldn't be able to do all this. Because the Lord has said, listen, this is how you're going to react when you're mixed with this other chemical. And the psalmist, again, leaning on the psalmist, the psalmist says, the Lord spoke once. That's such a powerful phrase in the King James Version. It says, the Lord spoke once. That is so powerful. What does that mean? It means he didn't have to, like, speak twice. Hey, sulfur, you're doing a great job, but magnesium, you need, to, you need to pick it up a little bit. Could you imagine if that was the case? And there we see the power of God. He commanded all of these, all of these laws, all of these properties, all of this stuff into existence. We will never know all of this stuff. We'll never know all of it. We know just a little bit, and we get all puffed up thinking we know all this stuff. We just know a fraction we just know a wee little bit. We don't know anything, really. Truth be told, we walk around like we're so smart. We don't know nothing. We can't even create a drop of dew. Not without borrowing from the Lord's stuff. But I think the most wonderful thing of it all is how the Lord takes this group of chemicals that our bodies are made up of 
and intersects it with a human soul. Doesn't that fascinate you? I mean, after all, what animates this? What animates this coming? What animates the horse to pull on the way? What gives the horse that animation that we call life? A bag of chemicals is not alive. A horse is a living creature. We're told that God breathed into man and man became a living being. He breathed into him. He breathed the breath of life. The, how, you know, I, I remember speaking to my eye doctor a while back. He has a big eyeball, you know, big, your eye doctor probably has one too. Does he have a little poster in there? It's got this big eyeball with all the veins on it and all the different things of the eye. And there's another one with a cross section. And I remember asking him, listen, you know, how, at, at what point does the frequencies, I understand they produce that the frequencies hit the eye and the eye produces a small electrical signal and a small electrical signal goes to where? When does it intersect with the soul? What a fascinating thing that is. At what point does it, does it intersect with the soul? Our Lord is so powerful that He breathes soul into each one of us that intersects with all of this. It's amazing. What's this got to do with Mary? Back to verse 35. The Holy Spirit. Mary says to Gabriel, how is this going to be? The angel says to her, Gabriel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. How are we to understand that? I'll tell you how we're to understand that. Keep your place in Luke chapter 1. Keep your place there. And take a look at Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. You know Genesis 1, 1, probably the most famous sentence ever written. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Now verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And what? Behold, the Spirit of God is overshadowing it, isn't he? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here we see that creation is a triune effort. We know from Scripture it's a triune effort. God wills it to be. God says it's going to be. God says, let there be. And through the Son, all things are created through Him. Without Him, not one thing was made and has been made, and in Him is life, right? Through the Son. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, right? That's an appeal to this verse. The Father decrees through the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hovers over it, and the Holy Spirit does His work, and He makes it happen. Mary says to Gabriel, Gabriel, tell me, how is this going to be? And Gabriel basically says, Mary, you remember Genesis 1? It's going to be the same way as that. You remember how I, I spoke everything into existence, and it became? I only spoke once. There we see the magnificent power of God. He spoke once. It's not like he spoke the first time and it didn't take and he had to speak two or three more times till finally it was running right. Or he spoke once and it came in being, but it had a few hiccups. He had to keep speaking and work the hiccups out. No, he spoke once. It's hard for us to get our minds around that power, isn't it? But it's the best thing for us to do. 
Especially when we come to him. We come to him with all these problems. We come to him with all these things. We come to him with all these, Lord, you know, I need your help. Can he help you? Well, he spoke everything into existence. He spoke all those chemicals that are working in your body. He intersected a soul with them. And there you are functioning and living and breathing. Yeah, he can help you. Yeah, he can help you. If he can do all that, he can help you. This is awesome power right here. First thing we see is power. As we look down deep into this, as we look down deep into the incarnation here, we get this one lesson from the incarnation, first of all, and that's the power of God, don't we? It's the power of God. And there we see our salvation rests in the power of God, doesn't it? Are there any other lessons here? Absolutely, there's another lesson here, a very powerful lesson here, and that is the wisdom of God. We started by thinking, why? Why a virgin? Why, why does Gabriel go to Nazareth? Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Absolutely. The best of things come out of Nazareth. Our Lord and Savior comes out of Nazareth, doesn't He? Why? Why a virgin? To understand this, we need to understand. You've heard me say this many, many times. We always have to understand two things to understand this. We have to understand this about our Lord, that He's just. Right? And because He is just, every sin has to be dealt with. I remember asking, I remember asking when I was a kid, I remember asking my Sunday school teacher one time, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And she smiled so lovingly, took my hand and said, well, he died for your sins. And I remember asking her, I know, I understand that. But he's God, right? And she smiled, yes, he's God. I said, well, if he's God, why couldn't he just say forget about it? Because he's just. He can't say just forget about it because that compromises his justice. Doesn't it? So it has to be dealt with. But yet God is merciful. He desires to show mercy. Now here's the dilemma. How's he going to show mercy to human beings that have thwarted his justice? How's he going to do that? Well, someone might answer, well, he's, he's going to punish a substitute. He's going to punish something else in our place. The author to the letter of Hebrews asks, can blood... A lot of bulls and goats take away the sin. The answer is no. Can an animal be put in our place? Can a horse be put in our place? Or can a, can a bull or a goat or a lamb? Can, can any of these things be put in our place? The answer is no. Why? Because human beings have infractured God's justice. Because we have sinned against God. Because it's a human being who sinned against us. So therefore, we're going to need a human being. Well, can we go get a human being? Can we go find the best human being we can find? And that human being can be the, can be the, the substitute for us? There, there are no human beings good enough. All of us have fallen short. All of us have sinned. And it's reflective of a nature that we all share. What how would happen if God decided to punish a fallen human being, a fallen man? Well, as he's punishing that man, what would he do in response to the punishment? He would sin against God. And as he sinned against God, what would happen? He would earn more punishment. And that, in turn, would cause him to sin again. And then you see the circle. That's the dilemma we face. If we pass away from this life into the next in a fallen nature, that's what will happen to us. We will be punished. And as we're punished, we will continue to sin, which means God's justice will require punishment again. It's not that he's an ogre. It's just justice requires this. No, it's not that he's an ogre. To the contrary, it's because he's perfectly loving. He has to be perfectly just. 
So we have to have a perfect man. We can't just have any man. We have to have a perfect man. That's the point of the virgin. We have each inherited a sinful nature from our fathers. Every one of us has. When Adam sinned, all fell in him, right? Remember, we studied that catechism. We were covering all this stuff. Romans 5. In Adam, all have fallen. So it's important that Jesus, if he's to be a perfect man, it's important that he has no biological father. That's why there has to be virgin. We need a perfect man. So the Holy Spirit, Mary, is going to overshadow you. And he's going to come upon you. And notice what Gabriel says. He says, therefore, you see that? Therefore, that reminds us of what's gone there before. Therefore, the child to be born will be called what? <coughs> Holy. Not only that, but the Son of God. Which takes us into the other thing. We can't just merely have a perfect man, by the way. Can any human being withstand the wrath of God? The answer is no, but could you imagine, could you imagine trying to undergo the wrath of God to withstand the wrath of God for the sins of us all? For every occupant that's in heaven, can you imagine? You want to talk about being in trouble, trouble, trouble. Could you imagine withstanding the wrath that our accumulative sins have earned? Can a mere man stand with that? Then the answer is no. Okay, well, then we'll get an angel. Can an angel do it? The answer is again, no. Well, then who can stand? All of heaven falls silent. There's no one who can stand. Oh, but there is one. The Son of God himself can do it. So you see, we not only need a, a man, we need a perfect man, a man who has no biological father, who has not inherited original sin, Boy, that man must also be not only perfect man, man in every way, but he also must be God in the flesh in order to withstand the punishment of us all. That is ingenious. That is breathtaking wisdom, isn't it? We now find ourselves deep within the wonder and the marvel of the Incarnation. There's more. Actually, there's a lot more. More than we're going to cover this morning. If you'll let me, there's just one more point that I think you'll find very beautiful. And I won't take as much time developing it. But you'll note that the story doesn't go this way. The story doesn't read that Mary went looking for Gabriel, does it? That'd be a strange Christmas story, wouldn't it? Like if we went to verse 26 and it said in the sixth month, uh, Mary began to look for Gabriel and said, Gabriel, it's time. Where are you, Gabriel? Gabriel! Has anybody seen Gabriel? Who's Gabriel? Oh, Gabriel's supposed to come and meet me here. I'm, I'm trying to get Gabriel. We've got to get on with this thing. It's time. It's the sixth month. Many of you are laughing. That's silly, isn't it? It's silly. No, the story, the story goes the exact opposite way. Gabriel appears to Mary and she's bewildered. 
He appears to Mary. He says, greetings, O favored one. And she's fearful. What's my point? My point is that God has taken the initiative. Salvation is by God's power. Salvation is through God's wisdom. And salvation is by God's initiative. Oh, it is time, Gabriel. It's time. All the angels have been waiting for this. They've been longing to look into these things. And now it's time. There goes Gabriel. All of heaven falls silent as Gabriel goes down to Mary and makes this announcement. All we want to hear, everyone hush. Greetings, O favored one. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and you will bear a son and his name shall be Jesus. Just as the prophets had spoke long ago. How long ago? Well, all the way back in David's day they were speaking. Back in Isaiah's day they were speaking. In Malachi's day they were speaking. But you know they were speaking long before that. They were speaking in Moses' day. But you know, they were actually speaking long before that. Moses said, hey, after me will come a prophet. To him you shall listen. But they were speaking long before that. All the way back in Genesis 3.15, right? Right after Adam and Eve fall, what does God say? I'm going to send a son. Who's going to deliver you? But even before that, even before the Lord contemplated creating us, this plan was in place. This gospel was in place. What does that mean for us? What does that mean in conclusion? Well, what it means is that the wonderful salvation that we enjoy, that we're gathered here this morning to celebrate, is a, a salvation that is not resting in our own strength. Let's thank God for that. In fact, that is the very thing that we have to get rid of if we're going to come to the Lord. We can't come to the Lord in our own strength. That is what we're naturally going to try to do, isn't it? And it's one of the hardest things for us to do is just to lay our own strength down, to lay our own strength. We, we have to come as beggars. We can't come demanding anything. We can't come, uh, we can't come arguing for anything. We have no rights to come in and stroll in and say, Lord, I want that salvation. No, we can only come as those who receive it. We receive it as beggars. That's the only way God will give it to us. It's not in our strength. That's the best of news that there is. Because which one of us would be strong enough? I think it took seven men to make a horsepower. So the average man has only got one-seventh of horsepower. It's not too impressive, is it? So you got a guy that's really strong. So he's, what, a third of a horsepower? And we strut around like we're so strong and big and strong and tough. The best of us, a third of a horsepower? You know, your wore-out clunker, your worn-out clunker outside that's burning more oil than gas can outdo you on any day of the week. We don't have any strength. We have no strength. Here's the good news. Your salvation doesn't rest in you. It doesn't rest in your strength. It rests in the power of God. And He's given us His resume. We've already looked at it. It's impressive, isn't it? And the wisdom, the wisdom of God. Our salvation does not rest in the wisdom of man. Listen, that's where all world religions are at, by the way. They rest in the wisdom of man. They're concoctions of human invention and human imagination. Why, do they, why are there so many of them? Because God has created us to worship. It only makes sense that we're going to create all these different religions and all these ways of worshiping. But you see, that's the wisdom of man. 
There's all kinds of holes and flaws in it. But our salvation doesn't rest in the wisdom of man. Our salvation rests in the wisdom of God, doesn't it? And initiative. This is the most beautiful part. This is the most beautiful part. I couldn't wait to share it. You know, I, I felt like with this one, I felt like, you know, you, you buy this special gift for your sweetie and you can't wait to give it to her. Um, you just can't wait. Or you buy it for a family member and you can't wait, you know. And some people cave in and they just give it to them, you know. Samantha's good for that. She'll buy something and she can't wait for the event to come. She just gives it to you, you know. Um, so you're looking at me, okay, what is it? When, when a sinner bites into the truth, okay, it's not long before the sinner realizes that the truth that he or she bit into is connected to a line that goes up through the waters of depravity and all the way up to a reel that's in the Lord's hands. He does this. He is such a great angler. He's such a great fisherman. That's the terminology Jesus uses, isn't it? He calls fishermen. That's no accident. And he says to them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Why? Because the great angler of souls has a reel in his hand and he's lobbing that reel out into the water and that truth nugget that goes out into that water goes into the precise, just like a lightning bolt, goes into the precise place into the water where it will go precisely before the just the right soul. And as that soul takes that nugget, oh, it feels like we're the ones doing it. It feels like we're the ones taking the initiative. It feels like it's all of us. I've decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I mean, we're all excited. I have decided to follow Jesus, and we have decided to follow Jesus. But then he starts reeling us in up through the waters of depravity. And what do we discover? There's a reel in his hands. Long out of eternity past, He decided to create us. He decided to redeem us. He decided to fill us with His love. He decided to save us so that we could be with Him for all eternity. Amen. These are just three of the lessons we get from the Incarnation. That's enough for one morning, you think? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is so much fun to preach the gospel. And it's so much fun to hear the gospel. And it so warms and invigorates our soul. It so inflames our soul. It's so, Father, you just fill us, O oh Lord. You fill us, O oh Lord, with the greatness of your power. You fill us, O oh Lord, with the greatness of your wisdom. And, O oh Father, that you took the initiative to save the likes of us is truly staggering, O oh Lord. That we have been into the truth. We've been into the truth because you placed it in front of us and you gave us the, you gave us the ability to bite in. And you're pulling us. You're pulling us to the waters of depravity. Sometimes you pull very hard. Sometimes you pull very gently. But you're pulling us and you're bringing us, oh, Father, to yourself. And we see, oh, Father, that this is a work of the triune God. It's a work of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, we so thank you and praise you, oh, Lord. We so thank you and praise you that Gabriel answered Mary, when she inquired, how will this be? And there, O oh Father, we see the power. We see the power of Almighty God. We see your wisdom. And we see your initiative in saving us. 
We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.